0: You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at malvanechurchcom sermons. In Galatians 6, last week we read the first five verses ending with the admonition that each would bear his own load and that we were not to boast in regard to what another did. And so we move on from there with a continued set of instructions of benevolence and things of righteous living. So we've entitled this section to share, to sow, and to do good. Let's read our text tonight, Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are the household of faith. So we start with this, verse 6, divine instruction to share, to support the teacher. This is only right for the teacher is striving, doing the work of God, uh, striving for the good of all, able to instruct them in the ways of God, able to encourage and support them. And it's a worthwhile work. Uh, Jesus did ask in his ministry, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? And so if you're able, by the teaching, uh, to save your soul in the teaching of Jesus Christ, uh, the person who helps you in that, the the modern word facilitates that, uh, that's a good work that should be worthy of support. And so share with the one who teaches. It says, in all good things. Obviously, we think about the financial there uh, in the things that uh, that are shared. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, we have this instruction that Paul gave uh, Timothy in regard to his work at Ephesus. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching for the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages and so double honor and so one honor there would be the honor of esteem it appears and the other would be the honor of a financial uh, reward a a wage that's earned uh, like the ox while he's uh, threshing Uh, he's there working amongst uh, the, uh, the the harvest, and he should have a, uh, a be able to uh, partake in that. It would be uh, under the law especially cruel and to be avoided uh, to not let an animal that might be hungry uh, to be muzzled while he's working there uh, amongst the food. And when we have this passage tonight about uh, uh, sharing in the things of the word, And the very next passage is a warning of don't be deceived. God's not mocked. I wonder if the the support for the preacher was placed right there uh, with uh, mocking God and thinking you're uh, deceiving uh, in regard to uh, financial uh, remuneration uh, for the preacher. Uh, Don't think that you can just give him a pittance, uh, give him a little bit like it's charity, uh, like, uh You know, he he should owe you great appreciation uh, when, when you're not willing to uh, give him any remuneration. Just two quick stories. I could multiply these about the dissatisfaction and hardship that can come when the wages are not paid or properly considered. Once upon a time, I tried out for a work in another state, several states away from here, and you wouldn't know where it was. Although you know the name of the town, if I mentioned it, because it's a town you know in the United States we've heard of, but this this uh had, they had a, a nice uh, building, uh, but they had really an inadequate parsonage. The parsonage was barely over a thousand square feet. Uh, parsonage was was uh it was a very modest structure when it was built, probably in the late '40s, and it hadn't been upgraded much from modesty since and as i went and tried out at that work and talked about the package of pay and the like uh i asked i asked one of the elders i said is that that parsonage? that's that's really what the yeah oh yeah that's that's what the church has and what preachers have been proud to live in it for you know since whenever 19 whatever and uh boy it's a it's a fine thing we give this give the preacher that house. it's right there convenient to the building and blah blah blah. buy some good schools and the like it's like yeah, this is this is not good. Well, later in the day, the same elder was taking me around and and he was showing me uh some places where his uh company and he owned a company that his sons worked for multi-generational successful medium sized family business they did landscaping and uh, uh the area was kind of hilly. And they, they, he showed some great, re, beautiful retaining walls. I mean, massive things look like earthen dams, but <laughs> retaining walls for for various properties that he had built. And and uh, then he took me out to his place, and it was a multi-acre property. And on that place was his very large house, and uh, of course it was beautifully landscaped and retaining walls, almost more than you needed, but just kind of almost to show off the product. But on the same property were several very new and very large houses and he talked with pride about his son and his son-in-law who had those recently built those, those uh, uh, properties. And he mentioned how his grandchildren were enjoying those large houses. And at that time, which is one of the reasons I probably didn't get this job. I said to him, I said, now how does that compare to the parsonage again? Okay. So Boy, he's happy his his children and grandchildren are, in, you know, luxury accommodations and probably well-earned. And the business was quite successful. But for the preacher, uh, the preachers are proud to live in that little, well, dinky and inadequate place down by the building. And, and then in another place, in another state, this was not me. Uh, preacher left the work. Uh, he had been at a work for 10 years and uh, work was a lot of middle and upper income people in it, upper middle class and above. And he had not received a raise in 10 years and he had uh, started uh, mowing lawns and he ended up building a commercial lawn mowing business uh, that he worked over the summer. So he had about uh, 30 weeks of that a year. He he'd, uh, when well, in a couple of years, he was making more from that than he was uh, from his preaching work. And he asked the elders, he said, look, I'd like a raise and I'd like to, you know, do the preaching work rather than than the lawn work. And they wouldn't they wouldn't work with him. And then one of the children of one of the elders, they had they lived in a luxury neighborhood that was two or three miles down the road, a, a new subdivision on acre lots and the like and uh uh, uh the, the the daughter and son-in-law of one of the elders uh that was there at that place on the outside of their house on the back in the backyard they built an outside living room the the outside living room was a more expensive project than the preacher's salary and he got discouraged uh and in and, and this uh, and i i don't blame the man for being discouraged entirely but in this passage tonight is about don't be discouraged. Well, that discouraged the brother, and uh, he gave up the ministry and decided to cut lawns. And I don't know what he's going to do now. He's now, uh, another couple of years later, uh, that brother has moved on to another state. So he I don't know if he's going to rejoin the ministry or restart a business or do what. But that kind of thing, if not, when there's ability, not fulfilling this passage, uh, making sure your family is taken care of well and your family prospers well. But for those who help look after your soul, there isn't a a look. There isn't a, a provision. That's simply contrary to the teaching of this verse. We have the longer version of this in 1 Corinthians 9. We'll read it without much comment. Paul says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? You know, it's a right. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I do not have the right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock? and does not use the milk of the flock. Am I, speaking, am I not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does the law also not say these things? For it's written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, Because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher ought to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sow spiritual things in you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? If others share in this right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we don't use this right, but we endure all things so that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat of the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly at the altar have a share of the altar. So also the Lord has directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And so the true servant like Paul will endure as to not hinder the cause of Christ. But because of that mindset, which many faithful have shown in the ministry, Brethren, have at times, in some places, taken advantage of those. And God knows. And God is not mocked. So verse 7, do not be deceived. Now, we're not just talking about preacher salary and preacher remuneration. We're moving on to a general principle, but in context, it would apply there first. But we move on. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he reap. A man sows and a man reaps. And you reap what you sow. If you plant corn, you'll get corn. If you plant soybeans, you'll get soybeans. Uh, If you plant Milo, you'll get Milo. If you plant an apple tree, you'll get an apple tree. If you plant sin, if you plant miserliness, if you plant and cultivate uh, ungenerosity of spirit. If you pursue hypocrisy, if you practice sin, this is what you'll do. God is not mocked. Don't be deceived. There's about seven times in the New Testament it says, "Don't be deceived." If you ever need to uh, teach a lesson, if you ever need to run a Bible class, you're like, what well, what can I what can I teach? What's my topic? Just uh. Look up, do not be deceived. Make a list of those seven things and you'll have more than enough to fill your time. And you'll know these basic truths, but people forget them all the time. In Ezekiel, we have this twice, Ezekiel 8 and Ezekiel 9. God said to me, son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are committing in the dark? Each man in his room of carved images? For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. In the ninth chapter, verse nine, he said to me, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great. And the land is filled with blood and the city is full of perversion. For they say, the Lord has forsaken the land and the Lord does not see. So they thought their idolatry was fine. There'd be no recompense. There'd be no trouble. There'd be no consequence because God wasn't looking. They thought that their oppression, they thought that their violence, they thought that their perversity was fine because God would not see. And so God would not judge. Well, turns out there's an entire psalm about this. And sometimes about these teaching psalms on things like this. Again, I just think, and we're fixing to read Psalm 94. I read that about the, these things in the Psalms. And can you imagine singing this in the songbook? But the Psalms is the songs, right? Psalm is just an old English word for psalm, and we use it still because it sounds spiritual. But but psalm simply means song of uh, 600 years ago, and somewhere along the way it gets tied to the inspired songs. But imagine singing this song at church. Psalm 94, verse 2, it's a sermon on this topic. Of God knowing and God seeing. Psalm 94 2 Rise up, O judge of the earth, render recompense to the proud. How long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour forth words, they speak arrogantly. All they do, they all do wickedness and vaunt themselves. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. That's bad when you murder the orphans. I thought We're supposed to like the orphans. They've said, they've said, The Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. Pay heed, you senseless among the people. And when will you understand, stupid ones? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations will he not rebuke. Even he who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. They are but mere breath. (laughs) Again, I just think, it's one, it's a great sermon. It's a great sermon. It's so down to earth, and it's so much in the way that so many people live. They live today who do not know God, and they lived in Israel this way who should have known God. But can you imagine if we had this as a song in our songbook? And sometime on singing night, there, there's a request from the back. And one of the young ones said, hey, uh, I have a request song leader. Okay, uh, which song would you like us to lead? Hey, I'd like to read about the one where they killed the orphans and, and uh, God called everybody stupid ones. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I have a six, it's humor. But this lesson that God had Israel sing about how they were deceiving themselves that God did not care and God did not see, and they mocked God. The God who made you, he has eyes too. He has ears too. The one who made your brain knows how you think and what you're doing. So, you will reap as you sow. This has been true from the first chapter of Genesis, that each produced after its own kind. And so sin produces after its own kind. Verse 8, for the one who sows to the flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. The flesh is corrupt. It's, that's the only thing it can produce is more corruption. The corruption of the flesh produces more corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. You can sow to the flesh or you can sow to the Spirit. You know, there's only, what's that uh, famous uh, poem? There's only one life, uh, uh, soon shall be passed, only the things that are done in Christ shall last. I think that's actually an English poet from uh, about 150 years ago, but I actually first saw that engraved on the wall of a Catholic mission. And I thought it was a Catholic thing, but I think it's not. But only what's done in Christ will last. Only what's done in the Spirit can survive the end of the physical. The flesh is physical. The flesh is failing. The flesh will go away. The flesh has been corrupted. Sowing there reaps corruption. Uh, James uses a different figure about this to teach the same lesson. James 1. James 1.14 but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin's accomplished, it brings forth death. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. And so there it talks about like the, the natural process of birth. And here it would appear to be an illegitimate birth because it's not approved of God as the things of sin. There's a guy who gets carried away and has lust. And then that lust causes conception. Conception grows and eventually produces a child. Well, in this case, when lust is conceived, the birth is sin. Sort of like one of those horror movies, you know, like Rosemary's Baby or or something like that. Demon Spawn or, you know, some other kind of horror genre. And so it's going to produce a bad thing. But. The one who sows the spirit. So pursue the godly qualities. The one who pursues love, what will he reap? You know, we know what the one who lives by the sword will do. He'll die by the sword. But what about the one who chooses to, uh, to sow gentleness? The one who chooses to sow joy and peace and patience and godliness. That will reap eternal life. So, so. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we don't grow weary. I think about that good brother who gave up the ministry because of the financial constraints a relatively large congregation put him in and he gave up on the ministry. Didn't give up on his faith, at least to my knowledge, and uh, that was several years ago, and he best, best that I know, he's been faithful in his attendance and work in other congregations and in the, the Lord's church. But that brother lost heart. He was discouraged by his own brethren to the point where he didn't want to work with them in the gospel anymore. Well, Some give up the ministry, but you don't have to be in the ministry to be faithful, right? Matter of fact, if you (laughs) think about it, if you took a faithfulness census of the church, would the ministers be any more faithful than the members? Probably not. But we need to be faithful to the Lord. And we need to not grow weary in doing that. As some give up the ministry, some give up the faith. Some give up the brethren. Some say, I'll just do it on my own. If you can't do it with others, what's the chances of you doing it with, without others? Doing it by yourself, right? That's why there's support groups for just about everything. Because how well do we do by ourselves? That's why we do things in groups. That's why we have encouragement. And so we're to encourage one another that we don't lose heart, that we we stay until harvest, that we reap if we don't grow weary, in First Corinthians, Paul said this at the end of the chapter on the resurrection. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so let's be faithful. Let's press on. To the reward, James, we won't comment much, but read James's exhortation to this same degree. James 5, 7, beginning. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. How long we got to keep this up? Till the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until he gets the early and late rains. You, too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another. That's a sign of weariness right there. Get beat down, get tired, we start going after people in our group. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You've heard the endurance of Job, and you've seen the outcomes of the Lord's dealing, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. So take heart in that. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. And one day the labors will be over, and he'll wipe every tear from the eye. There'll be no more heat, there'll be no more uh, suffering, there'll be no more struggle. There'll be no more heavy loads. The Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So, instead of growing weary and not doing, let's do. Do good. Verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And so, while on earth, we have opportunity to do good things, to sow to the Spirit, not letting weariness take us down, uh, using our opportunities. If we have opportunity, let us do good. For us, to some degree, opportunity equals moral obligation. Now, we can't we can't take advantage of every opportunity. We have limited time. We have limited resources. Uh, sometimes the thing that limits us most is we have limited knowledge. So many times we're reduced to saying, but if I'd only known. Now, we can't use that as a full-on excuse all the time, but sometimes we just didn't really know. We weren't informed. Uh, There was a lot of spiritual gifts uh, that were around uh, in the church, but clairvoyance really isn't one of them. We don't know what's going on with others. Because of that, it's one reason to be merciful and to be kind, uh, because we don't know what other people are struggling with. But when we do know what they're struggling with, We have an obligation, if we're able, to help. And how far does that go? It's to all men. It's to everybody. There isn't a limit there. Uh, We think about the uh, lawyer in the Gospel of Luke, who, when he was told to love his neighbors himself, he tried to limit that. He tried to make an excuse for himself. Because he knew he hadn't been loving his neighbors himself, and he, he tried to get in an argument with Jesus about, well, who's my neighbor? let to find that is that by proximity, is that by, uh, you know, uh, other kinds of affinity, is that, uh, you know, this or that? And Jesus said, Look, the guy that needs your help, he's your neighbor, and the Samaritan was a neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves, and so there isn't really a limit on that doing good. There doesn't seem to be anybody who is disqualified from you helping them. Doesn't seem to be any racial, ethnic uh, uh, disqualifications, any disqualifications of age or geography, uh, any uh, disqualifications, in this case, even of morality. Man can be an immoral man. Well, you you can still help him. Now, of course, we wouldn't participate in his sin, promote or encourage him in doing wrong, but there's no moral test here in all men, in everybody. There just isn't a test there. It's, do you have the opportunity to be a help? That's really the only test that's presented. And so in Matthew 5, you've heard it said, Matthew 5, 43, you shall love your neighbors yourself and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. See, we think Oh, he's my enemy. I don't have to help. No, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of God who's in heaven, who causes his son, it's, that son, that's his own personal property, but he lets you use it. He lets them use it too. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love only those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax gathers do the same. And if you greet your brother only, what do you do more than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. Therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so there's no disqualification of any. Uh, you'd be able to say, I'm excused from helping them. They're so disqualified. They're too disqualified. But then there is one modification, but it's not a modification that lets us out of anything. It's a modification that enjoins us to all the more do, because it's an especially. Verse ten continues, especially to those who are the household of faith. And so here we have a fe- a special relationship. We have a familial relationship with those brothers and sisters who are in Christ. And so we're not excused from helping others, but we do have a special and first obligation. Of course, we understand in a family, when there's limited means, we have to prioritize what we do. So if there comes a need to prioritize in your helping, prioritize the brother, the sister in Christ, because they also put a special priority on you because Christ has joined us together. Christ has made us one. Now, there are some other passages such as 1 Timothy 5 that talk about those who don't provide for their own. They've denied the faith. They're worse than an infidel. It does talk about some who uh, should not be permanent objects of charity uh, because uh, they should provide for themselves or be provided for by family. Uh, there are some special obligations uh, that are met. But here, Paul talking about the general The general rule is help. Help everybody, especially those of the household of faith. Now, that doesn't mean you're not under obligation to others, just that you have a special obligation to some. And so, share. Share with those that teach. Share with those that you can help. In this, you're sowing to the spiritual. You're sowing toward good deeds. You're sowing toward uh, the things that Christ has asked you to live. And you will reap well in doing that. But don't think like those in Ezekiel's time or David's time that God doesn't see. God knows if you're really doing and God will judge rightly. So don't try and get away with a mocking thing. Try to do what's well, right. Be generous, ready to share, doing good. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.